Good morning. Good morning. Are we doing okay? Is everybody okay? It's so, yeah. Hey, by the way, you're still trying to be back row Baptist back there. So full back there and all these empty seats. So if you need a table to sit around, then uh, go ahead and come on up front here in just a little bit. Man, I'm excited about today. Today has already been awesome. We, um, we started our Roots study, which by the way, if you don't know what it is, it's just a 12-week study, sort of an overview on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to really go deeper in, in his word. Uh, I don't know about you, but nobody came alongside me and said, hey, I want to disciple you. I want to help you understand the truths of God's word. I, I picked some things up at church. I, I went to Sunday school. I, I even went to college and studied scripture, but no one ever kind of came alongside me in that way. And uh, this is the hopes of trying to do that for some of our folks. So we, had, uh, we, we printed 60 books and we thought, we're going to have 15 or 20 books left over. That'll be good. We gave away every book this morning and we needed more. All so right. that's a good thing, right? We're pretty excited about that, and we will print more. And you know what? It's not too late to jump in. So you've seen the, the QR code and the thing about Roots up there. So if you're interested in that, it starts at 9 o'clock right on, on the button, okay? So if you want to come get coffee, come a little earlier. But we're going to start right at 9 o'clock, and we're going to go for 11 more weeks. And we would encourage you to be a part of that if you can be. I'm excited about today also because we have a new series we're starting, uh, Rethink Church. Some of you are going, why, why, why do we need to rethink church? And we're going to get into why. And honestly, if you just look around our country a little bit, maybe you can figure it out. <laughs> There's some things that uh, are not working in the church. There's some things that uh, need to change in the church. And so we want to kind of begin that conversation. I'm excited that my dear friend and our chairman of our elders, Dee Brown, is with us today. Can you just give him a hand? There you go. Thanks, bro. Dee's going to start our conversation and kind of help us understand, honestly, that things have changed a little bit. So, Dee, go for it. Thanks, Drew. I, I hope by the end of this conversation, you end up being encouraged by it. But before we get to the end, we've got to start at the beginning. And we've got to think about where the church has been in the last, oh, 50 years or so, and what that looks like today, uh, and what that means for us. And so I'm going to kick us off, and then Drew's going to get to kind of land the plane here in a minute. I want to start with this quote from Peter Drucker. Peter's very well known. He wrote across many different decades, a uh, very well-respected guy. And I want you to feel what he says in this quote for just a second here. Every few hundred years in Western history, there occurs a sharp transformation. What cross, uh, in an earlier book, he calls this divide. And within a few short decades, society rearranges itself. That means its worldview, its basic values, its social and political structures, its arts, its key institutions. And 50 years later, there's a new world. Mm -hmm. And people born then cannot even imagine the world in which their grandparents lived and into which their own parents were born. And we are currently living through just such a transformation. You feel the weight of that, of how much change has happened that we might not even understand very much about how our grandparents lived. And what really got me about that quote, I turned 50 this past year, just a few months ago. I'm 50, all right? So here, here's my 50-year here's my window. Look at this. Doesn't that just take you back to a time that felt good when, when people lived in community together and the world was always made right in a 30-minute sitcom? <laughs> but what I found cool about this was even in a major television show like this, where they sang hymns in church as part of the show, 
Opie said his prayers at night before he went to bed. I mean, all key values that we would really want to, to honor and respect. And even Andy and Barney singing to Otis in the jail cell, and they were singing hymns in the county jail. As part of our society, that was normal. 50 years ago, that series ran from 1960 to 68. 68 was the year I was born. That's 50 years ago. You just think about how much things have changed since then. Also want you to see this picture. This is a couple of decades from my life. So starting early 1970s, this is a picture of three generations. I'm the little guy in the picture. My dad and my grandfather also there. And so I want you to think about what my grandfather was doing back in the early 70s. He built this car by hand. An old single engine, it was as a steam engine converted to gasoline, but it was modeled after an 1892 horseless carriage. So you think in the 1970s, that's what my grandfather was thinking about, uh, you know, half a decade, half a century before, uh, and see what he was doing. He ran that thing in parades all over southwest Little Rock and downtown Little Rock, had a lot of fun with that, but that just shows you the way things have changed. He also helped start this little community church out in the community where I live. And I barely remember the old building on the left before it was torn down. They built the new building on the right, the new church on the right, and then tore the old structure down. But that was a part of the fabric of our community. Everybody went to church. That was the norm. Um, and just people just didn't question that as much, I don't think. Um, and so I just wanted you to feel the change of that. Moving on forward in my life, Kim and I got married in um, 1986, went off to uh, school uh, for a time, but we grew up in the church. It was just part of what we did. My grandfather was a deacon in the church. My dad was a deacon and a treasurer in the church. That's just part of who we were. But then going off to college, and I think about the electrical engineering program, and that was really where I began to see what a complex world we live in today in technology and information and all the things that we've got to learn how to navigate in this life, uh, things have changed a lot in recent years. And so adding to the family, uh, there's all three of my girls. Uh, Deanna came along in 2004. And by 2006, I started a, a company that I'm part of is Brown Engineers. And I don't tell you that to tell you about Brown Engineers. What I wanted to tell you was in 2006 was a very intense period for me of walking in faith with Jesus to know well, what does this look like to actually follow him and so for me uh, for Kim and I together we wrestled with this decision for a little over a year and to leave the biggest engineering firm in the state and start your own firm overnight and you've got three little girls at home and you got to put food on the table and all the things that go with that that was a huge leap of faith for me and so um, I just, that's, that's part of my, my walking with Jesus process that was a defining moment of learning. Like, what does it mean to walk by faith? Romans 14, 23, the second half of that verse says, everything that does not come from faith is sin. And you go, everything that does not come from faith is sin. I go, man, I'm supposed to be dependent on Jesus for everything? <laughs> like my job and my career? My, yes, yes. So that was a defining moment for me. And then look where we are today. 2018, here we are. <laughs> Little Ella Grace is sitting right back there. 50 years later. And guess what? We have a whole new generation to train. You think about that. Where we've come from in 50 years, and now we have a new generation of, of people coming up that we need to be able to train. And I'm hoping, the Lord willing, that that's where I get to spend the next 
decade or two or three, whatever the Lord allows, doing the kind of biblical leadership development things that we need in order to help people live in a way that's meaningful to them and that's purposeful and missional in what God has for us, even though the world around us has changed in such dramatic ways. You think about these changes, the Industrial Revolution, the Nuclear Age, Technology Revolution, the Internet, the Information Age, Big Data. My grandfather wouldn't have known what it was to pull out a phone and take a picture of a QR code and sign up at church. He's like, what did y'all, we got paper for that. Yeah, but we got processes now that are faster and easier to manage in large numbers of people. And so you feel the amount of change that's happened that's causing us to have to think about how we do things. And so I want to share a few things with you here. The world's changed around us. That's a big, big point. And, a, and, a, and the church has lost a little bit of its way in how to engage the culture around us. Like, what does that mean for us today? And how do we rethink that? And a fundamental question is, Drew and I keep talking about this. We keep saying to people, how's that working out for you? How's that working out in, in your life? What does that mean for us personally? What do we do with that? And it's a bewildering kind of feeling to go, man, I don't know. I'm not sure I know what to do with that. Think about this, too. Where's the church in North America in the 21st century? Very much in decline. Irrelevant, maybe, by some. Considered extremist. I mean, a few years ago, you might have thought, it's just kind of irrelevant. Now, people think the church is actually extreme. People are hostile toward Christianity in our own country. Just a few days ago, this week, our vice president's wife, Karen Pence, went back to school to teach, and it's a private Christian school that she's teaching at, and they called her out because of some of the moral codes that that church and that school live by. And one of the major news outlets ran this story and said, we think that biblical morality is disgusting. Mm. You just feel that and go, oh my goodness, what has happened to us that we can, we're having such a hard problem engaging our culture. That's where the church at large is in the 21st century. And so the church has given up some of its role at being central to culture. And how do we, what do we want to do with that where the church has now been marginalized or pushed out to the edges in an extreme culture? How are we going to live and tell people about the Jesus that saved us and that cares about us? And what are we going to do with that? Can we truly understand the times in which we live during the times when we live them? Or can we only understand them after we've lived them? Because things are happening so fast. There's a quote here from 1 Chronicles 12. The men from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They not only understood the times in which they lived, but they knew what Israel should do. That's our, the prayer that I have for us here at South City, is that not only we recognize the times and understand them, but know what we need to do about that. So this is a quote from a friend, Michael Voss. He says, we live in an age where we have the opportunity to shape the framework of people's life development for generations to come. Are you aware? And do you understand the stewardship and the opportunity that we collectively have to make a difference? It's a big question. So we introduced this, this term called a paradigm. Like, what in the world is a paradigm? What's a paradigm shift when I have to think differently about things? And this is where that word came from. Thomas Kuhn wrote in a classic book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. A paradigm is an entire constellation of beliefs and values and the techniques and so on that are shared by the members of a given community. And so a paradigm is far more than just a model that I could hand you and say, here's the new idea. It's this one thing and this is, this is the thing, okay? It's not really quite that easy. He says a paradigm is far more than a model. It's a whole set of ideas that are clustered together 
And here's what I love. Everyone knows the rules and the boundaries of success, if you will. Mm -hmm. Not just the boundaries to put us in a box and here's legalism and here's how we live, but a paradigm that says here's how to live biblically and engage culture and where we understand what success even looks like in, in today's age. And so around South City Church, now bringing that a little closer to home, here's a couple of key points in some scripture. We all participate in the mission of the church. We can't expect Drew to do this alone. We can't expect Daryl or Elvis. It's like, you guys are our official pastors, and so everything happens there, right? Look at, look at Acts 1.8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Little Rock, Arkansas, and to the end of the earth. Yep. That's a big deal. That's part of our mission. That's what God's called us to. And so to do that, in Ephesians 3, he says, so that through the church... As much as I love me individually and how you know, God give me my mission, look at what this verse says. So that through the church, collectively, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So through the church is how God wants to make his wisdom known to the world. That's an important key point. So we talk about that here. We're a family of families. It's not just an analogy. It's not like, oh, we're part of the body of Christ and I can't get my... No, that is the current reality of being in the family of God and being a follower of Jesus. It's being in a family, walking this out together and learning what this means. Another one here, we equip all believers. This is Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. It's a verse we've heard a lot, but we need to think about how is that going to apply to his, us here at South City. And so this is a really important part of this. Equipping everyone, it says, this is another quote um, from Jeff Reed who wrote some of the material that we're using here. It says, it will be impossible to take full advantage of the opportunity presented to the evangelical church as we move into the information society without equipping all believers in our churches to think critically and biblically through the mass amount of information that comes through their lives and their work. I could so relate to that. In a technology-driven technology kind of job that I'm in and I see and I live in some of that massive change, to think about how do we deal with that to, to allow God to use us as part of his mission and to do that here at South City. One or two more and I'm done. No such thing as laity. This is an interesting one. that says, theology is not a private reserve for theologians such as pastors and professors. We hear that word theology and you go, oh man, you just lost me there. But it says, theology is a matter for the church. And there are no non-theologians in the church. This is some stuff in the Bible that we're going to have to deal with. And so he goes on to say, the term laity is one of the worst in the vocabulary of religion and ought to be banished from Christian conversation. Hey, I never thought I'd be standing up here saying that. That's Drew's <laughs> job, right? But I'm one of those guys who's living in that and trying to understand what does that mean for me in the church and how do we engage around that. And then theology and culture. Today, theology has become a mastery of academic disciplines for professional ministers who are pre preparing for their jobs. Rather than an orientation of the soul, for the purpose of acquiring wisdom, which all men and all women need, regardless of their station in life. That just crossed all kinds of boundaries with that quote right there. And so we need to understand that. You know, theology is for everybody, and I like this thing here. The Puritans, 
when they came over, they didn't think of theology just in like cognitive, cognitive terms. Like that's just something I need to read in a book and understand. And that's, that's, the, that's where I categorize theology. They, they said it was the art of living unto God or the art of living with God. That, that's meaningful to me. How do we learn how to do that? How do we learn to do theology together and walk with God? And so we live in a time in the church when theology has been professionalized, like that's only for some seminary guys or pastors, somebody, not me. No, it is for all of us. And we need to understand that in our church life. This is partly why we're doing the series that we're in. Because some of you have been asking, like, why are we doing this? This kind of feels hard. It feels different. What are we doing? So everything from our what's next class and our membership and doing things at a community level, uh, moving into the Roots class that we started today, which will be an ongoing thing we want to continue, the first principles of being established in the faith, and then the other leadership things that we want to be able to talk about are going to help us get on mission together for us personally and how we walk that out with God and what we look like as a church to express God's wisdom to the world at South City Church. That is part of the leadership process that we're involved in. So it's not about the academics, even though we may use that phrase. You may hear us say, we're having a Socratic discussion. You go, what was that? We're just having a discussion. But with the intent of engaging people on point about what we're talking about. So the goal is developing leaders who are well-trained leaders who are walking with Jesus. That's what we're doing. And we live in unprecedented times in our culture to be able to engage people this way. It's a tremendous opportunity. We're using tools that are easily repeatable and transferable. So you don't have to become the theologian on day one. You can lead a first principles class right after finishing week five of first principles. Mm -hmm. You go, man, I can take this to my friends and my family or my neighborhood and do this by sitting around the table together. But we want to learn to think critically and do theology and culture and not be pushed and marginalized to the edges like that. To learn how to solve complex problems and meet urgent and pressing needs. And some of you are thinking, you've been in the science books way too long. I don't know where you got that. Meet urgent and pressing needs. Titus, chapter 3, toward the end of the book, after all that Paul's tried to teach Timothy and Titus about their role in the church and training up leaders and doing what they're doing, at the very end of that book, he says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Isn't that awesome? That makes me think way bigger than just, hey, I want to attend a church on service on Sunday and go do my thing. It's like God's got a mission for South City Church. Yeah. And I'm so excited about that. And so, Drew, drive that point home for us, man. Yeah. Thanks. Let's give Dee a hand, can we? Great job, Dee. <laughs> Dee's basically starting a conversation about this, what is a paradigm? The reality is, is and you know it, you know it, things have changed. Things have changed. Things are going to continue to change drastically. So where does that leave us as the church? What, what do we do now, right? How do we continue to invest in our kids and make disciples? What is this going to look like? Well, the reality is if we keep going in the direction we're going, it can be a little uh, discouraging, honestly. Six to 10,000. Just get this number in your brain and try and wrap your mind around this. Six to 10,000 churches are closing every year in America. Six to 10,000. That's alarming. It should be. Divorce rates are higher than they've ever been. Sometimes they're higher in the church than outside the church. I don't understand that. And I think it says something about us as a church. 81% of Americans are concerned about the moral decline in our country. And we should be. It should be higher probably. 
Porn is at an all-time high, and, and many men and women are addicted to it. At a low number, it's a $6 billion a year industry. At the high number, it's a $100 billion a year industry. And we don't really know because it's so privatized. And it's rotting the soul of the church, not just America, of the men and women in the church. There's many millennials that are, that are asking questions. They might have been raised in the church, and now they're kind of uh, giving assent to tolerant opinion as opposed to objective truth. No, we believe the Bible, and this is how we want to live. This is what I think. Listen, if we're going to truly believe that the Bible is God's holy word to us, that it is how we're to live, that it is the answer, it is the solution to the problems facing the world. Do you believe that? The Bible is the solution for the problems we face in our families, individually, as a country. If we truly believe that, then as a church, we've got to get back to look like the church in the Bible. We don't want to just keep kind of tweaking the church and trying to make it better and look cooler. By the way, listen, I, I worked at a church, and it's a great church, and I love it. I worked at a church before that, man, we just, it was maybe the coolest church I've ever seen in my life. I was, we were really patting ourselves on the back. It was just vibey. We had candles. We had magazines doing articles on our church on how creative we were. But our spiritual depth wasn't that deep. We were more concerned about the music presentation or more concerned about the, the vibe or more concerned about how, how you felt when you came in as opposed to what does it mean for us as disciples of Jesus? Because when that is your focus, that we are deep, that we have a depth, we have roots in who Jesus is and what the Bible says we're supposed to be, when we have that, then some of these other things just don't matter as much. You might walk in our church and go, well, this isn't, hmm, okay, that's fine. But look at our hearts. Look at our lives. And may our families be grounded and rooted in the gospel of Jesus. And may we be making him known over how we're making the place feel. Does that make sense? I believe that the church is the hope of the world. If what Dee just said in that verse in Ephesians, that God wants to show his manifold wisdom to the world and to the spiritual realms, it says. He wants to do that through the church. Then guess what? The church is the hope of the world. That's you. It's not a building. It's not an event. It's not a service. It's you and it's me. It's our family. It's the families around the city and around the world. It's the body of Christ. This message this morning is called Defining Church. So let's define it. For some of you, you walked in this morning and you went, well, this ain't church. Didn't you? And I love it. Can I just say? I know I probably should, should ask the Lord to forgive me for I like when it makes you feel that way sometimes. Because it, it challenges what we believe. And this is my question. How do you define church? Because when you walked in, you went, well, this is not it. <laughs> hey, all we did was put some tables in here. Is it that big of a deal? It's just some tables. But do you see what I mean? Something as simple as a table can derail your spirit and your heart and your definition of the church. 
For some of us, we walk in and we go, well, there's no pews. Or we walk in and go, well, this is not the music that you're supposed to do in church. Or if the church looked like dot, 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 or if the preacher preaches a message like dot, 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 or if we dress up, or if the church were just what I want it to be, then it'd be church. Is that, is that the right answer? See, we all define church, whether we know it or not, one way or another. But it's not about how we define church. And may we never define the church by our experience of it. In fact, I think that's why a lot of people have left the church. They, they had an experience and went, I don't want anything to do with that. Right? Our experience can't define the church, but rather how God shows us what his church is in his word. How he encourages us to live as a family in his word. That's what the church has to be. We know that the Greek word in, in, in the Bible for church is ekklesia. Now, the original meaning of ekklesia is people gathered together. That was the original meaning. So if you had people talking about government and 15 people gathered together, well, that's an ekklesia. But as the church began to emerge, as the church began to uh, expand and, and multiply, that term, ekklesia, began to be given to people of faith. So it wasn't just 15 or 20 people that had gathered together. Instead, it was 15 or 20 people who were gathered together for faith purposes. And then it became synonymous, not just with people gathering, but the church of people gathering. That's how we get the word church. Here's the first point I want to give for you today. And I've, I've left a, a space on your card if you want to write these down. It's just going to give you two this morning. We're going to go. The first one is this. The church is not something you can do alone. It's a people of faith gathered together. Like the definition won't even work as something you do alone. It's a people gathered together. It's something we have to do together. By the way, I love technology. I and mean, you can see we're playing with some around here, and I think it's great. It's fun, right? Some of you are going, what in the world is that mess on the screen? I, I'm supposed to do what, you know? I like technology, but let me just tell you something. To, to be at home or to be on vacation and watch a church service on your phone, that's not church. You hear people say, well, I'm enjoying church today at home in my bed. No, mm -mm. Nope. You watched a service, and I'm so glad we have the technology to do that. Pretty soon, we're going to be streaming our service on Facebook. Very soon, yeah, we've got our Facebook streamer here, but we're going to actually do it as a church. And it's, it, we want it to be a good thing and to bless people, but guess what? That is not church. Are you gathered with anyone? That's not the church. You, you cannot be involved in the church even just by attending. You may be 100% attendance in here in the church. But if you're not walking life with other people, you're not involved in the church. You just came to the, you might as well watch it on the phone. Because it's just a service. Church is walking life with other people, other believers. You may go to church, but you're not a part of it. You cannot redefine church and live however you want. You know these people? Well, I'm just, man, I, I'm at peace on the lake fishing, man. I, that's my church. You heard that one? Yeah. I, I love the outdoors. I love the beautiful places that God has created. But that's not the biblical definition of the church, and you don't get to redefine it. I don't get to redefine it. God has defined it, and we have to live by his definition. How about, I, I watched it last night. There's, there's a country song on the radio, and it's actually a really pretty good song, kind of catchy. But the girl sings about, uh, Johnny Cash and all these different artists and she says, she basically says now that's my church. Listening to those great old country songs. 
That's my church. And she even makes a comment that I kind of was like, oh. Second verse, she even says that at some point those songs wash over her and wash her sins away. Now, I'm a songwriter. I appreciate good hooks and good rhythms and, and good melodies. I, I get that. But that's not how your sins are forgiven. If you're counting on a song to wash your sins away, you will spend eternity in hell. That won't get you forgiveness. Only the blood of Jesus will forgive your sins. That's not church. We can't define it however we want to. Uh, what about somebody that says this? Well, I have a group of people. We get together. We do a Bible study. We hold each other accountable. And that's, that's really all I do for church. Is that church? It's an expression of the church. It could, those people may be involved in different churches, but it is not a church. You say, well, why not? Two or three are gathered together, and that's it. Well, yeah. See how we mix and we pick this verse, and now we'll just use that one. Yeah, the, the Lord will be with you, but it's not the definition of the church. And here's, here's my uh, explanation of that. Do you have elders in that group that meet at Panera? Y'all decided on who the elders are? Because Paul said in Titus 1, Titus, I left some things undone, and those things that I want you to do are to appoint elders in all the churches. Do you have elders at Panera? Do you have authority there at Panera? Somebody in authority? When somebody goes off the rails, do you discipline those members? In a loving, restorative, not punitive way. Because if you don't, it's not a church. Do you send somebody out on mission from your Bible study at Panera? If you don't, it's not a church. What I'm saying is we try to define what the church is, and God's already done that. I've got friends that say this, man, listen, I was just so wounded by the church that I, I, I just, it's just been so difficult to re-engage. I just can't do it. Hey, listen, my, probably my greatest wound in my life is from the church. Probably the greatest thing that, that, that has been hardest to get over is a wound that happened in my church in Franklin, Tennessee. But I want to tell you something. I had the wherewithal as a believer in Jesus to know God wanted me as a believer to be in his church. And the Sunday after that all went down, guess where I was? Guess where my kids were? We were in church. And the Sunday after, and the Sunday after, and the Sunday after, because it's not my opportunity. I don't get to redefine who I'm supposed to be apart from a gathering of believers. We're to be the church together. Some people say, well, today's church looks nothing like the biblical church. I mean, if you've got buildings and property and you've got a staff, are you paid? I hear it all the time. Well, then that's not really what God intended in the church. Listen, there is an element of truth in some of that. Yeah, there's, we don't look like the, the, necessarily the biblical church in, in, in the Bible. Uh, there's some things that are, that are different. But you know what? It doesn't mean we just shut the lights off and give up. We've got to redirect we got to work on getting back to who God wants us to be as a church. And it doesn't happen overnight, does it? But look around, would you, church? It's happening. It's happening. God's given us a sense of, hey, what are we supposed to be? Not according to what we've kind of figured out in our brilliance. No, what, what does God say we're supposed to be? Who does he say we're supposed to be? What is the church supposed to be according to to him, not according to the other church over there, or this over that. 
What does God say we should be as a church in the Bible? Friends, regardless of the inconvenience, and sometimes it can be an inconvenience to come together. Sunday mornings can be an inconvenience, and sometimes those are the hardest mornings of the week. I get it. This morning we were trying to leave, and my door, I guess the thing was frozen. I don't know. My door wouldn't shut. And so I'm like, I'm geared up for just a, an interesting adventure, you know, down the road, down to South City. My wife's like, we're not driving with the door not shutting. Go back and... So, you know, so then I was like, I just in such a good mood. I'm like, not today, Satan. And I drove back and we jumped in the other car, you know. Listen, the enemy's going to do everything he can to discourage you. Sundays are hard. It's an inconvenience to be a part of a small group. It is. It's hard to be in a small group sometimes. But God has called us to live in community with other people. And there's going to be imperfect people there. And it's going to be a risk. And you know what? They have the potential of wounding you. Because we're human, broken people. And yet God calls us to be in that place with those people. Right? That's where he calls us to be. It's what he calls us to do. Regardless of your church wounds, regardless of your opinions, whether or not we're doing it right or wrong, God calls every believer to be a part of his family called the church. See, the focus, and this is, I just think this is, uh, so important. The focus of the letters of the apostles, the epistles, it wasn't written in most part to one person. They're written to the church, right? Even just take that alone. It's written to the church. So if you're outside of the community of the church, you're not going to hear the wisdom and the direction of God in his, through his apostles. That's why we have to be connected. God moves and, and works and speaks, yes, individually, but also through his church together. We cannot be who God wants us to be as believers in Jesus outside of church relationship. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're not in church, you, and I'm just, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about your attendance. I'm not talking about some of these legalistic things. If you're not walking life with other people in the way God defines church, you're living in sin. Can I tell you that? God wants you in connection with other people, other believers. He wants you because we can't become who he wants us to be apart from that accountability. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. The church should be where believers learn to know and obey the word of God. This is where we know and, and obey the word, word of God and we encourage each other to do those things. Back in the day we had Sunday school. And some of you laugh at me and you think that this morning was basically Sunday school. That's okay, I don't care. But the thing is, is information is good. But it's possible to just have information and not use that information as wisdom for your life. There, there are people who can, they can name every book of the Bible. They've got things memorized. They know all the tri 12 tribes of Israel. They can tell you all the writers. They, and they're not living for Christ. Information is wonderful. Knowledge is wonderful. But if that knowledge and information doesn't lead you to biblical wisdom, and biblical wisdom is learning to live how that information gives us the knowledge to live. That's when we live because of that information, that's when we're applying it to our lives. And then that should lead us to each other because that information says we need each other. If the church in the past has been mostly a spectator sport, I'm telling you something's got to change. Maybe in the past you came and you received, you listened. You might have left maybe kind of inspired. I really like that song or I heard this one thing. 
But if you left unchanged and your life didn't change, something is wrong. Why are we doing this? Why would we spend our time doing this if we're just the same people doing the same things with the same struggles? God's calling us to change. He's calling us to transformation. That's what the church has to become. I want to look at one verse this morning. Dee already started with it. I'm going to take it a little further. Ephesians 4, verse 11, and we're going to finish. Through 16, it says, and, the, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, look at this. For how long do we do this? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Is anybody there yet? Let's see hands. We got some work to do, don't we? And yet this is Paul writing to a fairly developed body of believers that he pastored for three years in Ephesus. He's saying we, we got work to do, all of us, until we get to the stature, the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children. And this is what I'm seeing in our country. We're seeing people tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, the sad reality, and, and, and Dee alluded to this, is what we've said is there's a few holy people, paid professional Christians. Y'all go learn what you need to and then come back and tell us, and then we don't really want to have to do anything. And then we'll kind of talk. You can talk about it, and, and we can go, okay, that's good, and I'll go home. That's not what this says. He says he's given the leadership of the church to equip you to do the work of the ministry. But does that... Does that feel like your definition of the church? Here's the reality, friends. Let me just make it as blunt as I can. Our definition of the church needs to be challenged. We've got to challenge it. Not, not on our experience, not based on our experience, not what, we, what feels good to us, but biblically what defines the church has to change. So what's the definition of the church? It's a people of faith gathered together. It's people helping each other know and obey the word of God. It's serving and loving one another. There's over 100 one another's in scripture that tells us of how to love and care for one another. It's a place that looks like how God designed it with godly leaders and with order. He's given us the directions. He's given us the order. We have to follow it and be obedient to it and trust that his word is true. And that when God designed the church, he didn't just do it for the first century. He said, this is the order and the plan for the church for all time. And that's why I'm setting it up the way I'm setting it up. It's a people seeking God. We're praying. We need you, Lord. We're worshiping you. We're seeking you. And we have a heart to make him known right here and around the world. That's what a church is. And at South City, what we want to do is we want to help equip you to those things.
We want to help you become that. That's who we want to become. And so we're doing the root study. I'm very excited about how, how you've responded to that and, and our, our movement forward, and that's, that's going to be so good. Uh, we want to emphasize that as partners of South City, we want you to be in a small group. We call them city groups. And sometimes it's difficult to get there every week, but you know what? You need to because it's for your own growth and your own life and your own uh, walk with Christ. Those problems that you're facing in your life, those issues that you're dealing with, you need people to walk with you through those things. Not just a dinner club, not just football conversation, men. Challenging each other to know Jesus more intentionally. We got uh, 12 small groups currently right now. We're adding two new small groups in the next two months. Praise God, right? That's a good thing. February 17th, D is going to start a leadership cohort through a binder. It's about this thick, uh, through the book of Acts, because that kind of, that's the place that we learn the mission and we see the mission and the Pauline cycle and how God blessed the church and, and created the church and, and it began to take off and the kingdom began to be scattered and, and expanded. Dee's going to lead that starting February 17th. If you want to go to that level of depth, we want to have something to offer you. So that's going to start on February 17th. Come speak with Dee or myself and we'll get you connected to that. We also want to do teaching series that are engaging and, and, and authentic and that take us deeper into our knowledge and experience of Jesus. And we're going to do this for two more weeks. So guess what? Go ahead and get it settled right now. Tables will be here for two more weeks. Okay, we good? All right, it's just tables. Don't, just calm down. So we'll do two more weeks, and then after that, we'll come back and we'll have our normal setup. And then we're going to go into a series in the book of James, which is the first book written after the persecution of the church by the pastor from the church in Jerusalem, James. It's going to be really exciting and I'm excited to teach it. So this is what we're going to do and the reason for the tables today. It's 1136. And for, uh, let's see here, I'm so good at math. Um, until 1150-ish, we'd like for you to turn around and have some conversations. Ooh, what? It's going to be okay. Hey, if you're a, uh, a, a table host and there's two or three at one table, would some of you guys come to some of these tables that we don't have hosts? And let's kind of round these out. But for 15 minutes, let's look at the questions that are in front of you on those table tents. And let's just kind of engage each other and get to know each other and talk about what it means to be the church biblically defined.